flicks and chill a movie discussion show i'm kev and i'm cal and today we're talking the 95th academy awards we'll go through a few of the major categories talk about any snubs and or replacements and break down the best picture race it's almost oscar night and the boys at flicks and chill have you covered going to open today no uh hello how are you no dilly dallying i'm just going to open with a straight up a question for you right off the bat do you think avatar the way of water or top gun maverick could actually win best picture at the oscars why or why not make a case uh so i i i don't think that avatar has any chance um and i think that top gun maverick has like Maybe it's like a top three situation here. Um, I feel like Top Gun Maverick has something, this emotional thing going for it where it, I I almost feel like Top Gun Maverick, uh, people like to say it's like responsible for getting people back into the theaters. And it like, it fought the, the good fight. This movie was probably ready to come out. And I think in 2020, so they sat on it for two years and kudos to them because i mean we both loved it it's your favorite movie of the year um avatar one of the problems with avatar is like well it came out really late it made a boatload of money uh i liked it a lot i liked it more than you um but it i don't know it just it doesn't like hold up in the sense that i i don't think i'll be thinking about like how it was special the same way that when I saw Top Gun Maverick. Uh, it looks incredible. Uh, but I don't think the I don't think the script is very strong. Like the actual screenplay they the they have these Gen Z Navi that really annoy me. <laughs> and they just say bro at each other all the time. And it doesn't hold the same like emotional weight that a Top Gun Maverick does or something. And that's one thing that I like, I was kind of thinking about uh, in the conversation with like Coda last year. Right. Uh, Coda has that emotional piece that people grab onto when she sings a song at the end. And uh, there is that piece of Maverick and Rooster coming back together and joining forces after being having such a contentious relationship, obviously because of Goose and what happened with his father and Maverick's relationship with him and the Great Balls of Fire scene of the piano. So they, they build this emotional arc that we don't have the same way with the uh, Navi family. And even yeah. still with the Navi family, like it is, I, I, I felt emotional when something big happens at the end but <laughs> if, you, if you haven't seen it one of five people in the world yeah like <laughs> if, if, i don't know some navi die sad yeah yeah um okay um, so uh i agree overall that avatar like can't make it happen it would be interesting to see if top gun i mean if, i wish i wish you could see a second and third i know that's not even really a thing and i know you can look at like the pre odds and stuff like that but uh it would be nice to see if like 
you know, if our, the, if the like runaway favorite just like wins that award, it'd be interesting to see if like Top Gun was like second, you know? <laughs> well, with the preferential voting, um, I think that, I think with like any election, it would be cool to see uh, not only who finishes where and then yeah, what like order, how close it was, how close it was, but also yeah. like release the ballots. I want to know who voted for who. And That's not happening. No, it's not. But they could maybe do it anonymously and it wouldn't be that big of a deal. But uh, yeah, you know, that's interesting. You know, another thing that I've heard of is um, that like people talked about was one idea. Like, I don't know, people talk about how can we get people interested in the Oscars again? And one idea that I've heard is to. So we have 10 nominees for Best Picture. Sure. And throughout the night, just be like, Mm, preferential voting cut out oh, all quiet eliminated. on the west yeah all, right. all quiet on the it's like almost like hunger games like all quiet on the western front eliminated and then they just have to sit there in the crowd and be like hmm they'll never do it honestly but, not that bad of an idea to go that, to go in reverse the problem with that idea is though is that if there's like a, a super front runner should we just explain right away how preferential voting sure, works? Sure, Go ahead, take um, it. Okay, so basically, uh, when people vote, and this is only for Best Picture, uh, you rank your fil- the 10 films uh, 1 to 10. Uh, 1 being the highest, 10 being the lowest. And when one film receives 50% of the first place votes, it wins Best Picture. If on the first go-around, no film receives 50% of, on the first count, the film with the fewest first place votes uh, is eliminated and the second place votes from that film are then redistributed as first place votes. So if women talking is eliminated, uh, but the people that voted for women talking number one, uh, then their votes for number two become number ones. Yes. Yeah. Got it. So basically the problem with my little thing that I just suggested um, is if we do that and then someone like is like a clear front runner um, then it, like it doesn't work because you're just not having people eliminated the same way because no but I'm I guess the the like realistic way they would do that is they would do it all in advance and then they would know in which order to like announce the elimination. Like it doesn't, even if someone receives 50%, they can still tally all the votes and be like, whoever got the lowest, we just announce second, like right away near the beginning, this movie's eliminated. Then this movie's eliminated. Then this, so they like, they like produce it, it they stage it and shit. Like what they already do that anyway. So I feel like it probably wouldn't be that big of a deal. That's true. Uh, um, okay, Callan, I have a follow-up to my initial question, which yes. is with another question. Uh, Avatar 2 and the Way, of, uh, the Way of Water and Top Gun Maverick were the two highest-grossing movies internationally this year. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's a big deal. And, they were all, and they're also nominated for Best Picture. When's the last time that the top two international-grossing movies were also nominated for Best Picture? Okay. Um... So my mind immediately goes to what has been like a high grossing movie. And they, they're pretty much like all like Marvel movies lately. Yeah. Uh, so like you got Endgame 2019 that made a boatload of money. 
wasn't nominated, but you have uh, Black Panther. That was nominated for Best Picture. Right, but it wasn't number two. I don't know what number two number, was. It wasn't number one either. So I don't Black think Panther wasn't number one. I don't think so. I can oh. double check on Box Office Mojo later. I'll tell okay. you. I'll tell. I'll give you my answer. Okay. I don't actually know the answer because I went through all the way back to like the early nineties, ninety one, ninety, and I just still couldn't. I clicked through every single year on Box Office Mojo, and none of them were the top two were nominated. You have to go okay. back to twenty ten where Toy Story, t- Toy Story 3 was the number one grossing movie of the year and was nominated for Best Picture. That's yours. Yeah. Uh, that's, your, that's your guy. It didn't <laughs> win, but it was like it was nominated and it was number one, but number two that year wasn't nominated, so it's it disqualified for the question. Sure. In 2008, Dark Knight was the number one uh, like most uh, earning at the box office, but wasn't even nominated. Wasn't, wasn't nominated. That and then seems the year like after a, that, the yeah. year after that, they opened it up to like eight or ten pick right uh, movies it feels like they figured out that like the most popular movie of the year probably should wind up getting nominated but or at least in the conversation yeah sure so uh and then you have to go back to 2003 when lord of the rings return of the king was the biggest box office banger and one best picture okay but in none of the years that i clicked through all the way back to 1990 so like 30 since i was born the number one and number two have never been nominated for best pick together okay so it's interesting which sets up number three follow-up question which is is this a good thing when the most popular movies of the year like the most like box office and the most celebrated like popular movies of the year are also in the like best picture race i imagine yes but i'd like to hear your take on like that subject i guess it becomes a question of like what do you want the academy awards to be do you want it to be like a popular film almost like more like a like feeling like an mtv awards kind no of thing? Not, no not really i mean i don't i suppose care that much but no i still want like i still feel like we're accustomed to the academy awards being like the celebration of like motion picture art form and sure. that like the reason why we come to understand that like there's like oscar bait type movies then there's popular and those two often don't cross but when they do it's kind of special dark knight for example i, I, f- I feel like dark knight like changed the conversation it was like oh my god this movie was like incredible and it probably should have been in the oscar conversation and changed what how people thought about like popular movies but top gun maverick is, is like a prime example of like the major bomb like huge uh summer blockbuster hit that also is in the conversation for like being like a great piece of like art form for film so i think i think like no to answer your question i don't want the Oscars to just be like all the popular movies. I also wanted to be celebrating like the like smaller scale stuff, the indie stuff, the best performances, all that sort of stuff. But at the same time, when Avatar and Maverick are in the race, it's pretty sweet. <laughs> yeah, I like it. Um, I guess it sounds kind of basic, but as long as your movies are good, I think we should celebrate them. And what one thing that I well, so they're both sequels. So people have this like emotional attachment or they come in with this like pre-knowledge to the theater already. And I think that especially with Top Gun Maverick, I think if it wins, it's not my favorite movie, but I really, really liked it. And I feel like they did something really special with I watched Top Gun with you. I have a no emotional attachment to it. Um, 
And when I saw Maverick, I was all the way in. I was so impressed with what they did on a technical level as well as like a pure entertainment level. And then the emotional level is there as well. It's uh, it's, it's a really like, good story with good performances, 100%. Yeah. Yeah. And like, sure, like maybe it's much, very much so like Star Wars, but whatever, you know? I, I, I just think it's great and it it hit it ticks like all the boxes so w- w- that Avatar doesn't Avatar is maybe it's too long maybe it is and again I, I, I liked it but there are choices that they make in the story that piss me off the thing at the end with the evil yeah, general yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and all that stuff and I don't know little white kid with dreads what are we doing so listen Callan I we had talked about Avatar previously and you had like sort of thought it was uh, liked it more than I did but mm-hmm. as I went through my sort of like end of year rankings and I've been shuffling those constantly as we prepare for today as we prepare for Oscars I've been like really reviewing and ever so slightly I've been bumping it up bumping it up like because because it upon like reflection and looking back on uh the movie itself i feel like i also consider rewatchability which is tough to do while you're watching something live it's more like like i found myself the other day being like man when avatar is like on disney i'm probably gonna watch it again like avatar way of water because it's like it's beautiful it's like cool we know the story quite well the story is not really why you're watching it anyway and they go and then underwater is like stunning and it's all kind of nice and and honestly the experience that we had watching it was like really fun and ever so slightly i was like i think i'd rather watch avatar again over this movie and bump it over it and like rewatchability isn't the only way i'm ranking my sort of like yearly list but it definitely contributes and so slowly but surely it's like like raised up on my on my sort of like rankings and I look back on it like more fondly than I did the right when I walked out of it feeling like I wanted a little bit different out of it I suppose um so yeah I anyway I just think it's cool nonetheless the whole effort I think like the whole point I was trying to make by asking you those questions was like isn't this cool that the movies that make the most money that the most people see are also like quite good this year and like people went to them (laughs) Because it's not great when, like, Power of the Dog is the front runner and it's, like, it's a Netflix streamer and, like, no one's fucking watching it. didn't make any money and it's not, it's not cool. <laughs> yeah. No, so to speak. I, I like the idea that people have actually seen the movies that are nominated because I try to talk to people about movies and I'm like, hey, have you heard of this movie called Tar? I really loved it. And they're like, what's that? Oh, it's this cool movie about a conductor. And they're like, eh, it's yeah. two hours and 40 minutes they're not gonna watch it mm. yeah you're like but it, you it, gotta <laughs> yeah but it's Kate Blanchett she's so good and they're like who I'm like really oh no yeah you're talking to the wrong people yeah I, okay Callan today's bonus Oscar episode is our third time covering the Academy this is great feels like A we get a little bit more comfortable in this sphere every year there's not as much like what happened last year because we kind of went through it all all um you know, together. So, um, yeah, as we get into today's episode, I thought that we would talk, uh, uh, we would just get into like the big six, um, the big six categories and, mm-hmm. um, break them down, talk about, talk about like any snubs that we saw or any replacements that we want to see. Um, and just, and just 
basically talk about the movies that are in that are like nominated a lot that are out there for so so our listeners can I guess listen to this show and then watch the watch the Academy Awards feeling like prepared. Yeah, that's great. All right, um, so yes, yeah. go ahead. Uh, I was curious. Do, do we want to talk about this like Curse of the Front Runner thing really quickly? Sure. Yeah. I mean, we're going to have best picture conversation first. So why don't you just kick it off with the curse of the front runner and then we'll get into like what's running for best pick. Okay. So I was doing a little research on this and the idea, like currently everything everywhere all at once, it is the front runner. It's been winning all sorts of awards leading up to this, but I'm more so looking at which film has the most uh, nominations. So everything everywhere, everything everywhere all at once. Uh, I'm just going to start calling it everything everywhere. Uh, it's a real mouthful. It has yeah, 11 it nominations. Um, I think the second largest this year is All Quiet on the Western Front and Banshees of Inishirin. They're both tied with nine. Um, so we'll, we'll we'll see what happens this year. But last year, Power of the Dog had 12. I think Coda had three. Coda wins. 2021, Mank has 10. Nomadland won. 2020, Joker came in with 11. Parasite, Parasite wins. The Favorite and Roma had 10. Green Book wins. Shape of Water had 13. Shape of Water won. That's the, that's the, the rare outlier. one. The outlier. Yeah. Um, La La Land had 14. Moonlight, my my squad, yeah. comes in, sweeps it. Uh, the Revenant had 12. Spotlight. My dog. Yeah. <laughs> um, so just because you have the most nominations doesn't necessarily mean that you are going to win. And I like, I, I kind of look at the different, um, the different films here and there's a lot obviously that goes into this, but I keep thinking about last year Coda and like, is that an outlier or is it films that have this like emotional attachment versus maybe something that's like like really dazzling technically and is going to have like an uh, a makeup and a costume and an editing but might not have the emotional heartbeat that some of these other ones do and maybe people get attached to that and right that might not have it yeah and so much of <laughs> so much of voting comes down to like the type of campaign you run so um just something to like be aware of that just because everything everywhere all at once has the most it might not win yeah it's not it's, it, not, it's, it's not a layup it's funny however it's funny to think about the fact like when you break it down like everything everywhere all at once has 11 nominations and so in that is like a best actress a best supporting actor a best two best supporting actresses uh, you know amongst a bunch of the technical or best directing and a bunch of the technical categories and if you think about it like a movie that has a bunch of the best 
stuff of the year should mm-hmm. be like the you know like it makes sense why these are the front runners right and they're the betting odds reflect that and um if you really break it down like it's like anything right if you assemble a bunch of the best stuff and the best people and the best technical and they just hit the story it's it could it is gonna win so it, it'll be interesting to see i'll tell you what cal let's just get in let's just talk let's just get right into the best picture nominees and start breaking mm-hmm. down this category um okay. So, Kalinard already mentioned everything, everywhere, all at once is the sort of de facto front runner. Um, also nominated this year is Tar, Banshees of Inisherin, Elvis, Top Gun Maverick, uh, Women Talking, The Fablemans, Triangle of Sadness, All Quiet on the Western Front, and Avatar The Way of Water. So, there's 10 nominees. Uh, everything, everywhere is the sort of like runaway front runner right now. But I, I wanted to talk to you, Callan, about that sort of like, I suppose that like here right below that that feels like it could legitimately challenge for like winning because i think we already talked avatar doesn't feel like it could do it right then there's like women talking triangle of sadness elvis even tar that feel like that's just not happening either realistically but there is this sort of like category near the top which includes all quiet which includes banshees which includes top gun which we already talked about and i suppose you could toss fablemans in there near the top Mm -hmm. um I mean, I'm really, I'm really curious to hear your take is what, like, what, if anything, do you think could actually dethrone everything everywhere? Uh, I think it would be the Banshees of Nishiran. Um, it has the second most nominations and it has them. I think it has people, well, I guess not best actress, but it has people nominated in all the other acting categories mm-hmm. as well as best director. Um, right. And it so, didn't really have a lead actress, so it's, that basically would be impossible. Yes, but Carrie Condon is nominated for Best Supporting Actress. Yeah, and she was fabulous, too. She really was, yeah. yeah. Um, maybe they could get like a Best Supporting Actress for Jenny the Donkey as well. Uh, <laughs> so much donkey this year, by the way. Yeah. Between EO and uh, Banshees and... Uh, Oh, fuck, what did I watch the other day? I'll have to remember. But another murdered donkey. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so I think that Banshees would be the one I would pick. Um, as as well as because it's been winning other awards in like other award shows. Uh, mm-hmm. I really like Colin Farrell's performance. You know, I watched, I rewatched it a week ago. And watching it at home it felt a lot sadder than when i watch it in the theater with people banshees yeah like obviously it's like it's really sad it, this town that really doesn't have a lot anything going for it and it these people this man no longer wants to be friend of gleason doesn't want to be friends with his best friend anymore and he just cuts him off out of his life and then literally cuts off his fingers that's that's a sad story about a rundown group of people who have nothing to live for, it feels like. Uh, but when I was, like, watching it in theaters... You were, I had, like, laughing at all the jokes and stuff. Yeah, there's a lot of humor in it, I of felt course. like. And yeah. then when you watch it at home, you don't get that collective experience. Um, and it's less of a... It's still humorous and... But I, I, I didn't have this. It doesn't have the same gravitas. Um, but I would pick Banshees. And then, yes, I would go Top Gun Maverick as my third choice. Uh, 
Tar, I, I, you know, it was my second favorite movie of the year, but I don't think that it has the, it's, it's, it feels too arty. So yeah, it really does. And then I feel like women talking triangle of sadness, avatar, the way of water. Yeah. They all get like a, thanks for coming. Yeah. T- tip of the cap. <laughs> the By nod. the way, I really liked women talking and I would like to go and see it again. Uh, and I think it was a fantastic script and I would like to talk about it more. Um, I just, I think everyone should go and see it. Yeah. So I've been, I haven't seen it and I, this one is like, has been the toughest to see cause it just wasn't even out. And then For it is, time. it yeah. is out now and you went to see it, which is great. I haven't got there yet. Um, and it's not available in any sort of VOD or like rip or any version of anything that we're trying to wrangle. So mm-hmm. I, I just have to get myself up and get over to the theater and watch the movie. I love Sarah Pauly and I, I don't, like I'm sure I'm gonna like this, despite I know the story, um, the book adaptation. It's just sad. <laughs> I know, and I know that. But like I'm ready for it, and I I want to see it. I think we all agree by looking at everything and reading about this year that it's just not, <laughs> it's not gonna win best picture, but it's in best adapted as like a really good front runner. I think so. Um, Hopefully, yeah, it get, cool. it, hopefully it gets its nod there. But uh, uh, Kellen, I wanted to talk very briefly about Triangle of Sadness. I think we're going to spend a little bit more time, obviously, on Best Picture. There's tons of nominees. Sure. And uh, we haven't talked about all these movies. Uh, tr- by the way, I remember Triangle of Sadness is the other movie where the donkey gets murdered <laughs> when they get to the island. Oh, And that's oh, another no. oh, yeah, another right. sad donkey moment in the, in the Best Picture race here. Um, but yeah, I this movie was not really for me despite feeling like I should like it as it was happening. Mm-hmm. I don't know how to describe that any other way. I thought the first act as like you met the people was like quite funny. It was quite sharp. And then they got to the boat and like, I was like, yeah, I kind of dig this. I feel like I'm could really like this movie. I feel like the central act was like pretty bad. I, I mean, like not when to things say, are going yeah, wrong on the when boat. things are going wrong and not to say that they did like a bad job or it was like, oh, I was too uncomfortable with it. Like, no worries there. I just wasn't really enjoying myself watching the movie. I was like, all right, let's get on with it. Uh-huh. And once they got on with it and the third act came around, I was like, you know, it feels fairly interesting and like seems like they're going for this sort of like class <laughs> commentary, which which, you know, I appreciate. But when the movie ended, I was like, well, felt like a pretty solid start and I never really brought brought it all together for me and I um but it's too bad because I understand Ruben Oslin to be like uh a, a really like beloved like auteur director and I don't know this just didn't really have the have the heat for old Kev I think that I I also struggled a little bit with the middle portion I I'm not going to come across as like a guy who's that well read about communism and Marxist societies. And so some of the stuff that was going on with, uh, what's his name? Um, Zlatko Burek. Right, the old Russian. The old Russian. And And Woody. Who who I really enjoyed. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, and Woody Harrelson as the captain of the ship. The conversation that was going on between them, I didn't really... uh, I didn't really pay attention to it. One, because the the things that are happening on screen are just 
so outrageous yeah, like out of control yeah yeah that i just get caught up in people like vomiting and toilets spewing up shit and um that i i like i i can't even remember what they were saying and i feel like that's a big part of it and if you really connect with the the movie you're gonna like that's gonna be a portion that really goes for you and it wasn't for me uh i really liked the third act when they're on the island and uh Dolly De Leon is she's come from the woman who cleans the toilets and now she's yeah. running the ship and the whole absolute power corrupts absolutely uh, is on display. But I really enjoyed it. So, right. Yeah. This isn't the class warfare uh, uh, podcast, but um, <laughs> yeah. And there are bits and pieces of that movie that really had me going. But overall, I was like, this isn't for me. Um, mm-hmm. I also want to talk to you about Fablemans, um, the Fablemans. Mm hmm which I watched recently and um, also didn't really make it happen for me. I thought, you know, it's obviously, it's obviously well done. Like that's not, we're talking about best picture here. So we are like nitpicking to some degree, but so I could appreciate that, but it was also long and I just, it felt like overdone. Like here's the, here's the crazy part is I watched weird a few nights later, the like crazy parody weird Al story. Mm -hmm. And like, then I thought back to Fablemans, which is like a biopic type story, and to some to some degree, and I was like, some of the like extra ness in the Fablemans felt like it belonged in like the parody movie, and I don't know how to say that exactly, but especially when he when he moved and got into the new school and was like being bullied and all that sort of stuff, like none of that was working for me. I was like, this is so like it seems so dramatic, and right. and. I don't know, for whatever reason, like when, let me put it this way. And for those of you who haven't seen it, you know, I'm not spoiling anything, but for those of you who have, you'll know what I'm saying is when he was like making his movies in this story and like getting his friends to do X, Y, and Z and like making the little innovations with the like bullet holes and like all, I was like, that is awesome. That was like awesome stuff. And when he shows his movies to the crowd and they're loving it and stuff, that was like really getting me going. All the other stories, stuff about his, like, the Seth Rogen character and his dad, is, it was not working for me at all. And I was envisioning some version of this story where, like, later in the in the story, he really finds his, like, filmmaking groove and starts doing and that just never happened. It just ended before that could ever get going. And um, it left me, like, really unsatisfied, especially because they teased him, like, making movies all the way since he was, like, little. And... I was really hoping for more. And then we got nestled down in his like high school stuff and the girlfriend and the parents. And I was, I was like, Oh my gosh. Like, and, and yeah, it really, it really suffered on my rankings list because I never could get, never could really enjoy it except for the times he was making his movies. I wonder, you know, it, I came out of it and I, it felt like a little bit of a recency bias because now I look back on it and I regard it much less. And I like, I don't think that in a year I'll have, ever considered yo maybe i should rewatch the fablemans or i'm not going to be really recommending people to watch it but when i came out of the movie i was pretty jazzed on it and mm-hmm. so um and maybe that was just me living that like sad snow lifestyle day. yeah i was having a tough day so anything i could do to find a little bit of light in the world was 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 making me feel good but yeah two months removed and I don't really miss the Fablemans and it would be one of, I don't know, maybe in the nine or the nine spot on my favorites list of these 10 nominations. So, 
Okay, Cal, let's uh, let's quickly just give the flicks and chills stamp to what we think is going to win Best Picture, and then yeah. offer some replacements for maybe those nine and tenth spots. Sure. Um, I I think that everything everywhere everything everywhere all at once is going to win. I I think you do too, right? Yes. Okay, let's stamp it. Um, I think I would prefer if Banshees won, but I'm comfortable with everything winning because it was an absolutely spectacular movie and um, really cool. So I, yeah. I assume you would want uh, Top Gun to win. Like that, that would make you the most excited? Yes, I think if Top Gun won, I'd be the happiest, but it feels, it feels even less likely than Banshees. And okay. I feel like I could envision Banshees winning and I'd be also really stoked. Hmm. Okay. Um, should we replacement? Yeah, let's do it. I only have one. I'll go mm-hmm. first. Um, I would be comfortable taking out Fableman's or a Triangle of Sadness. Um, I feel I haven't seen women talking and I haven't seen um, All Quiet, so I don't feel comfortable removing them without sure. seeing them. But I and I also trust that both of those like belong in their own way. Um, just being a Sarah Pauly lover and knowing that all quiet was like a spectacularly put together, sad story. And I've seen the original and I've read the book. And so I'm just going to leave it despite Uh not knowing, but I'm happily going to take away Fableman's or a triangle of sadness and replace it with Nope. Hmm. So this isn't in the top 10 of my year, but I think it's like a prime best pick candidate i think it's a filmmaker that is like beloved uh, mm-hmm. and and like gonna keep being awesome and it's uh clearly something like cool unique and cool story and trying something like different and i think it was um it's one that i continue to think about and will revisit and i'm ex- and am excited about and i feel like when i look at this list i could really see nope in there yeah one thing i like about nope is it is uh, an original idea and I, it just feels like Jordan Peele every time he makes a movie comes at something with a different angle and he, he's going to keep doing that and we've got a good one on our hands I like that idea um, for my replacement I'm going to take out Elvis because I really disliked oh, Elvis yeah. we didn't even talk about that I'm, I'm fine with taking out Elvis too by the way <laughs> okay <laughs> Uh, enough said <laughs> yeah when you when you took out triangle of sadness before elvis i was a little disappointed in you um flip a I, coin yeah i just i really you know what triangle of sadness some stuff i really liked there was not much that i liked in elvis i austin butler's good in it but i have no emotional attachment to elvis as a person mm-hmm. and I actually thought the filmmaking kind of made my head hurt. It is so flashy. They have like several, I'm like scenes upon scenes where in eight seconds, you're going to get like 15 cuts back and forth. And it just feels like an editor who's screaming, like I'm trying as hard as I can and look what I can do. And that is not my style. And I don't care about like these flashing neon lights that are coming at me throughout the whole thing. So get Elvis out of there and give me Babylon. Oh, wow. We haven't even talked Babylon this year. No, we haven't. And we both just watched it within the last week. Um, Yeah. I mean, I'm fine with that. But I I would like 
I kind of would put that down for me. I would put it down with like Triangle of Sadness, Elvis, and Fablemans. Maybe above them all slightly. You know what? Like, in fact, it is slightly above them on my rankings. <laughs> <laughs> um, I really enjoyed how uh, passionate every scene is, and I thought that Margot Robbie is just insanely good in it. And I was blown away by her. I really liked the score of it. But there are just a couple different set pieces and individual scenes that I thought were some of the best stuff that I saw all year. Especially the scene where Margot Robbie can't, or the, the sound guy couldn't yeah, get, yeah, get yeah. things to line up. That's, that's a really one, good scene. That's one of the best scenes I've saw, seen all year. The scene where they're filming like six different epic Hollywood silent films all in one gigantic like field and everything's like crossing over each other but they're also very cool yeah Yeah. and did it need to be three hours no but I I I mean basically for those who don't know Babylon is it takes place in what is it like the The 1920s 20s of Hollywood, Hollywood yeah right where the silent films are a huge thing, but we're starting to integrate the talkies. We're starting to integrate sound into film. And now all of a sudden our stars who were stars in silent films and very expressive and look very good don't actually sound that good. And so they're struggling with their life in Hollywood um, into a three hour epic about the power of movies and the power of cinema and yeah, that and works the for debauchery me. and like grimy underworld of Hollywood parties and blah, like, Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, we, we, you get some crazy parties in that. Uh, and you know, it, uh, it starts off with an elephant just shitting all over you. And that, that's Hollywood baby. That's just exactly. So I, I, I just think the scale of Babylon, I really respected what, like, how, probably how difficult it looked to make. So I feel like it could just be in this race easily and, mm-hmm. ha- and, and agreed, like, happily swap out Elvis for Babylon. Let's swap out Triangle for Nope and move on with our days because I think we Sweet. can feel pretty good about that. Yeah. I don't think either of those should win, yeah. and that's fine. Also, Damien Chazelle and Jordan Peele. Make as many as you can in the next twenty five years for for yeah. old Kevin Cal because mm-hmm. um, we'll we'll happily take them. Yep. Um, okay, great. Let's move on to let's do best director. Okay. Best director. I'll read out the nominees: Martin McDonough for The Banshees of Inisherin, Todd Field for Tar, Ruben Oslin for Triangle of Sadness, Spielberg for The Fablemans, and The Daniels for Everything Everywhere All at Once. Um, the <laughs> betting odds are like as short as they get. It seems like this is the Daniels to lose. Um, and I think as we as we go through this and talk about like everything everywhere is going to be nominated in almost every category. Um, this one feels like almost all but wrapped up, Callan. Um, mm-hmm. With that said, we get our first look at Todd Field for Tar. We get our first look at Tar. And um, oh, sorry, Tar was nominated for Best Picture. We just we get to you and I get to talk about it for the first time. <laughs> right? Um, yeah, you've seen it now. It's funny. We, I watched it the day we recorded last time. But the recording was in the bank already. So yes. by the time I, by the time we published our pod was in the air, I had already seen mm-hmm. it. But yes. couldn't go back in time and talk. So um, I watched it with Dave and Carrie and uh, Dave's wife Allie. It was 
uh, spectacular. We loved it. It was like really cool and a bit of a tough hang. Like it's not like that fun. It's just like cool and dark and kind of twisted and um, really good storytelling. It feels like if I didn't know that um, Lydia Tarr was fictional, I would have been like, is this a biopic? You know, like, is this Mm -hmm. like about a real person? So um, I thought that was really cool how they like injected this, you know, like incredibly successful person into like real life. Um, and right. I just overall really enjoyed it. Kate Blanchett is always awesome. Um, and she continues to do so. So, um, anyway, this is, I guess this is a Todd field discussion, but in any case, tar, I thought was an awesome movie overall. And it feels like if you could give it to anyone, that's not the Daniels, I feel like I would give it to uh, tar in this, in this, uh, category. I'm all for that. I, I love that. Those are my, that's my movie number one and number two on my list. So I can't agree more. Um, I'm glad that you watched it. I remember you sent me a text. You're like, okay, we're doing it. And I, I like got so excited for you. Um, yeah, we like, re- we like recorded and then I sent you a picture of the screen and you were like, yeah. what? <laughs> um, but, uh, I think, you know what, I like something I learned about the Daniels is, uh, until, well, maybe I learned to a couple, a couple of months ago, but they actually came into, uh, from a background of making music videos together. Oh, and cool. I think that is like a fairly common like entrance into mainstream filmmaking, but that's, that's cool. Also, I watched their other movie recently. Or Swiss Army of, Man? Yeah, Swiss Army Man. Nice. I like One it. of their other movies. Um, are you familiar with the music video Turn Down for What? The little John. I know the song, DJ don't know the video. Snake. Oh, okay. If you watch it uh, and then just think of everything everywhere, uh, you will you will see the connections in 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 their style of filmmaking. So it's um, pretty cool. Yeah, fast cuts. It's outrageous. But uh yeah. I think we both agree the Daniels are going to win. Uh, let's get some replacements. Okay, I'll go first. Um, it's it's an all-male running cast, and let's get a woman in there. Um, I'm happy to get rid of Ruben Oslin for triangle status. <laughs> Am I going to cut it from every... every... Anyway, I'm cool with that. Uh, Ruben's out, and Charlotte Wells is in for After Sun. Okay. I think After Sun is... Obviously, we get to talk a little bit about Paul Mescal and the and Best Actor, but overall, that movie was like really good. We saw it together. It felt very like slow moving, felt very film festy, felt very like artsy. But it's one that's like a really, really good story and a really like excellent time. And I'm I'm certain that um, you know the director had that like vision and wrote that story and took like. A child actor, um, Frank, Frank Corio. Corio, yeah, thank you. And Paul Mescal, you know, two actors that aren't like, you know, big heaters in the Hollywood scene and built this like really nice story around their relationship and they did a phenomenal job. And I, and you have to think like the direction is really important when you get two sort of like fresher faces to the game and want to put out like a really good movie. And it's, it, the movie's, really good so um that's my that's my selection i like it uh charlotte wells this that was her debut in terms of even filmmaking be, even more so recent. that's pretty cool yeah um 
I also took out Ruben Oslin. Wow. Um, Biggest loser of the Flicks and Chill pod today. <laughs> it's tough. <laughs> uh, and I took in uh, from uh, Woman King, uh, Gina Prince Bythewood. Bythewood. Yeah. Um, Sick movie, by the way. Yeah. And I think I mentioned last time that I don't think it got its due. And I, I stand by that. I think it's just a super fun watch. And it has an emotional connection. It has great acting. It has physical performances. And I think that large set pieces that look very difficult to coordinate and choreograph. Uh, I really liked it. So give me, give me Gina. Okay, awesome. Let's do, uh, let's scoot forward to best actress. Okay. okay. I'll read out the nominees. Kate Blanchett for Tar, Michelle Yeoh for Everything Everywhere All at Once, Anna de Armas for Blonde, Michelle Williams for The Fablemans, and Andrea Riseborough for Two Leslie. Um, Cal, you're, I haven't seen Two Leslie, and I know um, just from following, you know, the the action this year through Hollywood and that the Andrew, Andrea Riseborough um, sort of rise to the nomination, um, rise to the rise to the ballot this year was sort of like unheard of especially because two leslie is like tiny and has doesn't have any sort of like huge following or any kind of box office success overall um and yet here she is do you want to do like 30 seconds on like how that even happened sure so basically two leslie i think at the time of voting when it came out it had made approximately twenty seven thousand dollars in uh, domestic box office and, and then all of a sudden her name popped up and people were like shocked by this you know some larger names Viola Davis didn't get nominated and people were really upset about that it became this whole oh, Oscar so white thing again but um, my understanding is that th- and it actually got like a, a formal investigation into uh, by the academy uh, where the wife of the director, I can't remember the name right now, um, started hosting these dinner parties with several stars that, that would come to them. And then these stars would leave and then they would go to their social media accounts and you would see like Gwyneth Paltrow being like, I don't usually do this, but everyone needs to go and watch To Leslie because it was one of the Andrea Risebro was one of the had one of the most emotional uh, performances I've ever seen. Edward Norton did the exact same thing, and then this kind of cir- circulated around, and eventually she got a nomination. So it's like a political and like who you know type situation for how you get on the nomination and then get get there. Yes, which I mean a lot of this campaign, it's all campaigning. But uh, it just seems very strange when a movie that I like, it's rare when a movie that I haven't even heard of gets a nomination in this category. But uh, yeah. Yeah, well, interesting. Um, it feels like a two-horse race, Kate Blanchett mm-hmm. and Tar and Michelle Yeoh in Everything Everywhere all, all at once. I think I would bet my whole life savings that one of those two will win. Um, 
it seems Just risky saying, to don't do that stake like uh anything too significant on either one of them because it feels so even dead heat right now um i never watched blonde i think like you you cooked on blonde a few episodes ago and just how bad it was but said that anadarmus was solid but she's just not gonna win uh michelle williams and the fablemans i mean i thought was borderline bad even i mean i'm i'm certain she's like a fabulous actor and i'm certain the direction was guiding but like it's not like when I was watching her, I was like, this is an awesome performance. I was like, all right, let's just move on. Um, mm. Whereas Kate Blanchett and Michelle Yeoh are like fabulous. Yes. So I feel like my heart would want to see Kate Blanchett win this, but I'm, I'm, I feel pretty indifferent about this one. Do you see this going in any direction particularly? I, you know, I think I said last episode that it felt like Kate Blanchett had this sewn up. And now we're a day removed or two days removed from the Screen Actor Guild Award and Michelle Yeoh won. And now I don't really know what's going on. (laughs) Um, I have this emotional attachment to Michelle Yeoh's performance, probably because I like the movie more. But I thought I think that Kate Blanchett's performance is a better acting performance. The one thing that I really like about Michelle's performance is it is very physical. And I appreciate that as well. And she had to learn to do a lot of things. But then Kate Blanchett, she had to learn how to speak German fluently. And like she was playing piano and several different styles of Bach and stuff. So <laughs> yeah, you, you, there's no lose in this. It's, it's funny because I feel like before the SAGs, uh, even like if you go back like a month, it was like, this is a done deal. Absolutely sewn up. And then, but there was, there was like a side conversation that was like, geez, in any other year, Michelle Yeoh probably would have won. And in a, in a category that's like notoriously not like, like it doesn't ever have like three head, like a three horse race or sometimes there's like, it seems like in the best actress, there's always a layup this year. It's like, Oh geez, Michelle Yeoh would have won last year or Mm -hmm. or would win next year, but she's just up against like it. Now all of a sudden it feels a lot more even. So, so even that on uh, the sports book that I use, Kate Blanchett was even money and actually uh, Michelle Yeoh was the favorite. So your boy hopped on that. Because I still think it's going to be Kate Blanchett. I think I think that that's the right call. I think that there we get a little bit of more recency bias from the SAG Awards, but but I, I would I pick Kate. Yeah. Okay. Uh, best actor. I'll read out Liz- the nominees. No. no oh, we got, oh yeah. Sorry. We got to swap replacements. Let me let me go through mine quick. I took three people out. <laughs> oh my god! I love it. So Andrew Riseborough, you're gone. Viola Davis, you're in. Michelle Williams, you're gone. Margot Robbie, you're in. Anna de Armas, you're gone. Kiki Palmer from Nope, you're in. Okay, so awesome. I had Viola Davis as well. Okay. Um, and I had Michelle Williams out. Again, I haven't seen Leslie to Leslie or Blonde, so I, I didn't feel that comfortable, but I, I would happily remove them as well. Sure. Um, it just feels like with the two, the two absolute locks at the top, you can go anywhere with the other three. Um and I put I said that Frankie Corio could have a little slippery little nomination because I thought she was fabulous. I love in after, it. In After Sun. Um, yeah, that's great. Okay, uh, let's go Best Actor. I'll read them out. Paul Mescal for After Sun, Bill Nighy for Living, Colin Farrell for Banshees of Inisherin, 
Brennan Fraser in The Whale, and Austin Butler for Elvis. Uh, this one feels more fun and more open. Uh, I haven't seen Living, so I can't comment on the Bill Nye performance. Um, but Paul, Sk- Paul Mescal's in After Sun. I mean, we talked in our... Uh, we talked in a few episodes ago about After Sun and like how fabulous Paul Mescal was in that. And we went to that movie together and really enjoyed enjoyed like both performances. He feels like a bit of a darling. It's so great that he's in there, but he's not going to win. Then Bill Nye for Living is like last on the list and it feels like he's just not going to win either. And then uh-huh. these other three... Like Austin Butler and Brendan Fraser seem like the front runners, but Colin Farrell's performance might have been like the best of the year. So I, um, yeah, I'm interested to hear what you think about this race, Cal. They've all been kind of trading blows in different uh, awards as well, which is kind of leaves it a little open. My thought is that uh, I've got a note written here that of the past ten years. Seven of the past 10 years uh, for Best Actor have been, uh, have won for portraying a real person. So, right. Um, I just going with that. I think that Austin Butler is going to win. And I feel, I wish it was Colin Farrell. Yeah. It, just looking at like the favorites, so to speak, it looks like. Brennan Fraser has like a slight edge on Austin Butler with Colin Farrell, like a whole step down. Really? And then like, and then Nike and Paul Mescal, like way, way down. Are you talking um, like you're betting? Yeah. Site? Like okay. that's just the odds. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so I it would feels like Austin it, Butler to win. Yeah. It feels like a Brennan Fraser V Austin Butler. And we're, we're going to kind of see where it goes. Um, I'm also taking Austin Butler. So I will say we, we, t- we've talked briefly about, um, Elvis and you talked about how not, not really liking it at all. I sort of had mixed feelings. I feel like I like Baz Luhrmann, but Elvis just didn't really work for me. Austin Butler was good in that movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and as a result, I feel like it's a totally fair recognition. Um, I'd much rather see Brendan Fraser or Colin Farrell win. I feel like Brendan Fraser's would be like a real tear jerker because his performance was so like deep and emotional. And Carl Colin Farrell's was like, just like such a great character and such a great time, so to speak, even though it was also kind of sad. Um, both those seem preferable, but I think you and I are in agreement that it's Elvis's to lose. Yes, I would agree. Um, I think that, again, I, I also haven't seen uh, Living. So if we're talking replacements, um, I, I like all four performances from the top people. So I'm just kicking out Bill Nye anyway. Yeah. Um, and I'm putting in Daniel Kaluuya from Nope. Nice. So I'm also kicking out Bill Nye. Tough, tough hang when your boys haven't actually seen it, but so be it. Such is the, such is the drama when you're in living and no one's seen it. Um, I'm putting in Adam Sandler from hustle. Wow. (laughs) Sandman. (laughs) So it was either that or, um, I also had Daniel Kaluuya written down as like a, as like a really good option. Um, okay. and he's been like really, you know, successful at the Academy. So, um, but I'm going to give it a little love for Adam Sandler. Hustle was really good and it's not really in anything. And you the awards discussions and it feels like if Netflix, if Netflix and, or Adam Sandler, some combination could make that movie or a movie like that every year, we would watch it and like it. 
Yeah. It was uh, one thing about Hustle that was that I think that's the piece that ties it together is like I, I know Adam Sandler can act. We've, we've seen in a bunch of stuff where he can mail in a performance, but then turn it up when he wants to. Uh, but the, the thing that Hustle is really great at is the actual basketball players were decent at acting. And totally. it makes the movie feel credible. And, of course, they're incredible basketball players. So it works on both sides. So, so. this is, I mean, like... It feels like we should all be able to agree. And I know like the acting community could come charging for me, but like when you don't ask like a basketball player actor to do too much in the acting, Uh just enough to like make it good and realistic. Yeah. It's a hell of a lot easier to teach a basketball player how to act solid than it is to ask act to get an actor to play NBA caliber basketball. Sure, okay, yes. And I'm not, and again, we're not asking like Anthony Edwards to be Kate Blanchett. So everyone relax. But we <laughs> are, but there's actually no chance like a supporting actor who went through like film school could play in like in the NBA. Like, you know, going okay, the other yes. direction. Yes. So Paul Mescal anyway. isn't like doing a, 300, a 360. Yeah. So. I feel like when sports movies elect to like at the very least fill out their acting ranks with the real with real like players from the sport, mm-hmm. that's like that's good. Like they do that in Miracle. Like this is like going way back and it's one of my favorite movies. The hockey feels realistic because those are hockey players, right? And it makes it so much better. And we can forgive those guys for being like not great actors because they just don't have to do that much they're like so in fact honestly some of them are like quite good at acting i would even argue can all things considered the fact that they're like college and or like pro hockey players um it's anyway, kind of like side note it's kind of like he got game with uh ray allen yeah and he's not a, a great actor but he looks really good on the basketball court and then denzel washington's tremendous so he just kind of makes it work yeah. Anyway, I just think when you watch movies where the sports players are bad at sports, it's like unforgivable. Sure. So anyway, I always feel like that's like a, a really worthwhile trade off. Okay. Um, let's move into the supportings as our final sort of push here. Mm-hmm. Um, let's do best supporting actress. I'll read out the nominees. Uh, Angela Bassett for Black Panther, Wakanda Forever, Jamie Lee Curtis in Everything Everywhere, Stephanie Hsu in Everything Everywhere, Carrie Condon in Banshees, and Hong Chow in The Whale. Um, this one feels like kind of fun. Um, I'm not totally sure where it's going to go. I feel like I haven't seen Wakanda Forever and Angela Bassett seems to be like the talking favorite, but something tells me like Carrie Condon and Jamie Lee Curtis are right there knocking on the door and Stephanie Hsu was like so nice in that movie. <laughs> yeah, she's great. I if, if, if I could have anyone win in this category... Uh, that to make me happy, it would be Stephanie Shee. Um, I, you know what, this one was difficult for me. This was this was the most difficult one to like remove someone. Yeah, same. Uh, because I thought all the performances were really good. Um, and when I actually started t- trying to like, when I was comparing it with the best supporting actor category, I it was easy for me to remove someone. And I, I struggled with finding who to replace with. Mm, interesting. I, I, but whereas when I was, I found it difficult to remove someone from Best Supporting Actress, but I had several other women just like 
sitting right sitting there. on my bench and I'm just like ready to stick them in as the six six person in. And and yet the five that are in feel like they're worthy. Yes. I mean that's good. We're talking yeah. about a deep we're talking about a deep category here. No, I, I, I like it. And if I was going to um you know what I think if I had done this experiment two weeks ago, I might have removed Carrie Condon, but then I rewatched Banshees this week and yeah, I and she's really awesome. yeah. she really is. Angela Bassett has to do a lot in Black Panther because of the whole Chadwick Boseman thing and she is holding the movie uh, the movie together on that like emotional side of things uh, because that's that's her her son's death in the film. So I would say that I am removing and it feels upsetting to do this, but I'm removing Jamie Lee Curtis uh, from everything everywhere. And um, I have two people that I want to slot in. That's fine. Do that. Um, and I'm going with a uh, Tuso Mbedu from the woman King. Yeah. We talked about I, her last pod. She's awesome. She really is. And yeah. she does so much. And I think that it would be really difficult going up and holding your own on screen with Viola Davis and the whole physical side of her performance is incredible. Um, I love that scene when she's like going through the big like trial that uh, the like feats of strength thing that they have to get through and yeah, that's a sick scene thorns and everything as well as and I'm bringing in from throw triangle sadness, a little bit of love Dolly De Leon. Yeah, she's Somehow, good. Some, yeah, we opened this category up to six for me. Yeah, well, and she, it feels like she's quite good, and she only sort of, like, shines in the last, like, 40 minutes of the movie, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, I So I actually had Kiki Palmer, but you had her in lead, so, like, are, are we thinking, like, she's just, like, too much of the, like, how could, could they, is there any way Nope could, like, campaign her to be in supporting, or is she just the lead? I... I, I think they could have gone either way in terms of, okay. but I bet they, I bet that they would have campaigned her for supporting because Kate Blanchett was like this runaway runner, right. ever, like don't even bother showing up type of thing. All right. Well then let's leave it as is. I like your six person list. Okay. Um, supporting actor. All right. Supporting actor. Let's close it out. Uh, I'll read the, I'll read the, Nominees, Kiki Kwan in Everything Everywhere All at Once, the biggest favorite on the whole betting board, by the way. Uh, Barry Keegan in Banshees of Sharon, Judd Hirsch from The Fablemans, uh, Brennan Gleason in Banshees, and Brian Tyree Henry from Causeway. Uh, Cal, I'm going to kick to you right away. Talk to me about uh, Causeway. Haven't seen it, and I would like to, but is, is there a chance that Brian Tyree Henry can even be in this discussion or not really? He has no chance because okay. nobody has a chance because Kihu Kwan's going to win. Yeah. He's won every single thing, basically. Um, and he should also win second Oscar just for all of his Oscar uh, or award or his, speeches. Yeah, because he's magnetic. I love it. Um, I don't know if you watch any of the ones from SAG, but they're really good. And he's he. He knows what he's doing. He's very special. Um, but I would say, okay, Causeway is about Jennifer Lawrence comes home after serving overseas in the U.S. military, and she comes home because she has uh, 
she stepped stepped on a mine, I believe. And she has an injury from that. And so she's going through rehab and she's moved back to New Orleans with where her mother lives. And Brian Tyree Henry runs a uh, auto shop and he they become friends. And uh, I really like him. Are you familiar with him very much? I know you haven't watched Atlanta. No, not familiar um, at all, basically. He's great. Uh, I, I love him in Atlanta. Uh, you saw him in Widows? Yeah. He, um, but I, I was happy that he got nominated, and it's, but I, he's not going to win. So I, But I really like him. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. The movie's yeah. good. Causeway. I, I, I would recommend it. So I my Judd Hirsch take is that he's like not in it at all. Like this is this is in the Fablemans. Ten to twelve minutes. I looked it up. It's I am absolutely shocked. Like I'm sh- like he was fine totally, but if you were like nominate a like get your nominations in from the Fablemans, I may have even been like, but I would never have even considered it. No, I would have gone Paul Dano. Sure. I thought Paul Dano was good. Paul Dano was he's always good. He was like when I'm when we were watching that movie, I, I was watching Paul Dano. I'm like, thank God for Paul Dano. He's like so good. <laughs> and and this movie's like not getting me going in the right way, but at least when he's on the screen and his little eyebrows are making a little house on his head, like, you know, how they're always like a little sad. And I was like, Paul Dano's fabulous, so um he can't do anything wrong. Anyway, um Chad Hirsch, totally fine, but like it seems very surprising. You know what? Uh, I, I, my biggest takeaway, or another takeaway I had from watching Banshees, first time I watched it, I was like, man, Brendan Gleeson was like really good in that, and maybe he'll get like some best supporting love. I've totally ch- ch- done a one eighty, and now I'm like Barry Keoghan. Yeah, he was more impressive to me my on my upon my rewatch, and I enjoyed the stuff with him more. He's also a great, just a great like. He's someone who I would love to be in everything. There's yeah. never a time where I see Barry Keoghan's like face and like actions and stuff where I'm like not interested. I'm always, always in. I have a friend at work who she's from Ireland, and so she doesn't watch a lot of movies. And so she, she but she watched Banshees, and we, so we geek out about it. And she's been teaching me on how to say because I like I sat down with her. I'm like, okay, how do I say his name? Is it is it Keoghan? Is it Keoghan? Like, Keegan, Keegan, what are we doing here? And she, so she's coached me through. It's Keoghan. She's very proud of me now. Shout out to you, Noel. Thanks, Noel. And, and uh, she she l- loves the movie. She thinks that it is just pure Ireland. And if you haven't seen Barry Keoghan's speech at the BAFTAs, uh it's worth checking out and he shouts out like the neighborhood that he used to grow up in and the kids that had come from there and stuff. It's really cool. Cause he had a, he had like a tough upbringing. So yeah, cool. I, I like him, um, but Kiyu Kwan, it's going to happen. Yeah. I'm, I am happy to see the two Banshees guys in second and third place respectively. It feels like, um, mm-hmm. if we're going to change things up. So I want to run something past you. Is Miles Teller a supporting actor in Top Gun? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, then... Well, he's, um, not the, he's not the lead actor. Uh, yeah, he's not. No one's a lead if Tom Cruise is in a movie. Exactly. 
Um, okay, fine. Then I'm going to get rid of two. I'm going to get rid of Judd Hirsch and Bri- Brian Terry. Henry, um, okay. sorry. Just collateral damage here. From, you know, I haven't seen Causeway. Um, and I'm going to put in Diego Calva from Babylon and Miles oh, Teller from call. Top Gun Maverick. Oh, I should have I thought about that. Um, this is one, like I said, I, I, I struggled to think of another male that I wanted to put in here. Um, and... So I went with Zlatko Burich from uh, Triangle of Sadness. Oh, the big Russian. The big Russian. Yeah. Uh, I enjoyed his performance, and I'm taking out Judd Hirsch. And yeah, but it just felt like women kicked ass this year, and men were, some were really good. And then after that, it was kind of like, hey. Key Kwan was really good. (laughs) I just kind of like overall i don't know yeah. I, there there were several women that i could have put in to best actress and i could have put into best supporting but i this will not be a, a year that i remember because of the met yeah and like and she said zoe kazan and carrie mulligan are both really good but like both were never gonna get nominated like it, it, so that's another like just speak to the deep category cal i want to um before we close it out um I want to just open up best screenplay. We have Banshees and everything everywhere. Like Tide is like mutual favorites, it feels like. And um, I feel like Banshees, although everything everywhere probably will win best picture, I feel like because of the like sharp writing and the just dialogue heavy and like there's like no action, no multiverse travel, no anything. It's just like pure talk and look cinematography. For Banshees, I feel like it's going to win. What yeah, is your thoughts? I, I, I kind of like that. Um, I feel like Banshees at its core is based on its screenplay. It and that's like it it needs that. Whereas uh, everything everywhere all, all at once has this outlandish idea that we have all sorts of different universes where we learn things and what we could have been. And they tie them all together. So you have all sorts of different random things that you can pull from. And sometimes that almost feels like a cheat code. And it's very original. It's very exciting and fun, especially on screen. But Banshees uh, does a special job at existing in this very tiny space. And it makes you feel claustrophobic in the sense that, like, everybody knows your business. If you aren't, like... Uh, settling down with somebody kind of early on, you're just not really going to find a partner on this island because there's no there's no new people to meet. And you either settle or you you live and die alone. Or you leave the island a la Carrie, Carrie Condon. Condon. Yeah, she yeah. should, honestly. She um, should, yeah. Okay, Cal. Uh, we've, we've done it. We did the top the big six and a little sexy touch on screenplay. I'm just going to give, uh, the folks at home a recap here. The flicks and chill stamp for predictions here. We have best picture, everything everywhere, best director, the Daniels, best actress, Kate Blanchett, best supporting actress. Did we decide on one here? Did we say Angela Bassett at the end of the day is just going to wind up with it? Oh, Yeah. Uh, I think she will. Okay, let's do that. And then best supporting actor, Kiki Kwan. Um, oh, and best actor, we're giving it to Austin Butler for Elvis. 
and best actress we're giving it to Kate Blanchett for Tar. Uh-huh. I wanted to close out the conversation not about necessarily the Oscars but just about like the popular popular movies of the year uh-huh. um, I know we kind of opened with that and I kind of want to close with it as well so I I took the I just went through my letterbox and I went through like the letterbox like list of like popular movies right that's kind of like some combination of like critical uh, box office and the like it's just sort of like what movies were hitting that year and watched I guess and logged on letterboxd um, and I'm looking through and I took a smattering of like the top 20 and I just wanted to say, and I know we touched on this last um, episode, but this year is better than last year. And I would say significantly. Um, And you made the point that like when you talk about top fives from any given year, like it's all fucking gravy, right? But when you talk about like the most popular movies of the year, last year, like don't look up French Dispatch, Suicide Squad, Black Widow, Encanto, Eternals, those are all in like the most popular movies of the year. Black Phone, Tick Tick Boom, Shang-Chi, Last Night in Soho, Luca. Like, yeah, there's some, there's Dune, and yeah, there's Coda, and yeah, there's No Way Home, and yeah, there's, I don't even know, well, Licorice Pizza. pizza. Like, and those movies are really good. And of course, Mm -hmm. like some of the other movies that were like hits, the Oscars were great, and obviously. But this year, it's like, the Batman, which I thought was really good. It's Everything really everywhere good. all at once. Glass Onion, The Menu, Top Gun Maverick, Nope, Avatar, X, Barbarian, The Northman, like Turning Red, Tar, Babel. Like these movies are like awesome, all like borderline rewatchable. And they're all the most popular movies of the year. A chunk of those are all in the in the Academy Awards. Like you know, we went through this discussion over the course of the year. We've talked about the menu. We've talked about X. You, we talked about Barbarian. We talked at length about Hell the Northman yeah. and Turning Red. These movies are awesome, and they and like I just think we should be fairly optimistic about this year's movie slate, especially when you compare it to last year. And obviously, the COVID year was like a bit of a write off, but not very good either. Like uh-huh. as far as the movies that we've been covering since we started doing this surely this is the the best year of them all and i don't know i guess it just makes me feel optimistic that 2023 is also going to slap and hopefully on we go yeah looking at this list by the way kevin kudos to you i'm very proud of you because you watch barbarian yeah and and it was really good (laughs) yeah thank you i just and it makes me feel good that i'm not just like this psycho who's like oh Callan watches scary movies i'm like no no some of them are pretty cool so so here's some guidance for you from moving forward i don't know what barbarian has necessarily in it like the the pieces but mm-hmm. but if, like take that and yeah. take like some of the other like true horror movies that like really fuck you up mm-hmm. and start to generate that like i really like this horror movie and i think horror movie and i think kev could do it because okay. like barbarian was like pretty scary <laughs> um but i could handle it and i was like pretty happy i did i thought it was like quite good and it's it's really funny too exactly and i know like x was a huge movie this year x and pearl were both really popular and you really loved them but like x didn't really do it for me whereas barbarian did okay like i thought it was a quite a bit scarier and b better overall right so yeah it, 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 it's a more original idea i guess yeah so um, maybe like you know i'm just as my horror movie guru just like start putting all this information together aggregating this information and deciding how you're going to determine if like a horror any given horror movie is a kev appropriate one okay can do yeah um i feel good about the year that we just had 
uh, especially compared to last year. Um, I didn't really care for Don't Look Up that much. Never watched Suicide Squad. Never watched Black Widow. Didn't like The Eternals was just slammed. Luca was okay. Yeah, yeah sure. Yeah, Encanto was cute too. I actually, was really but... disappointed by last night in Soho. Uh, Shang Chi, I had fun until they did the stupid Marvel stuff with all the CGI. But, um, but all the movies that you've listed as the 2022 ones. They're all movies that I really liked aside from Elvis. Right. And we can just all agree that Elvis was like pretty like popular and kind of like and a big film director. And even though like you and I didn't really work for, I feel like people liked it quite a bit and maybe didn't like Tom Hanks, but overall liked it. And like, Uh that's fine. You know, it's like I can live with Elvis being in the like top 15, top 20 and I black like tick, tick, boom, black foam, the Eternals. Like, come on. Yeah. Um, my one thought about leaving 2022 behind is what if the Northmen came out in October? Would it yeah. be in any type of Academy Award discussion for anything? I don't know. I worry that it's like a little too grisly. Yeah. It, like it's it's pretty cool though. <laughs> it is cool, man. We watched it the other day. It's it's sick. Yeah. It's also the first like hour is amazing. Yes. And not to not to even say that the back half is like bad. I just think the first hour like gets you all the way into the deep end and it's like really cool. Yeah. Uh, I'm just going to mention one thing. We should have done this off the top. But uh, today, the Grizzly Truth premiered on Crave. Um, So if you have Crave, you should go check that out Uh, and check out Kev's interview with Cat Jamie because it's really cool that he got to do that. And I think that anyone that has a Vancouver connection would really love reminiscing and watching that documentary. So I'm going to put some stuff out on stuff on our socials as well to try and get people check it out. Cause I'd love, I'd love to talk about that with people. All right, everyone. Happy Oscars week. Have a great time. Uh, Callum and I will be back in the booth probably at the beginning of April to recap a little Oscar stuff and, you know, talk, talk, talk 2023 movies and and off we go again another lap around the sun so um thanks everyone for listening and have a great couple weeks thank you